for most of their lifetime, the kokanee salmon is this silver and sort of dark blue fish. But when they spawn, they undergo this most remarkable transformation where these silver and blue fish turn a bright red. Their bodies go bright red and their heads begin to turn this dark green. And on Route 44 in northern Utah, you will find this tributary of the Flaming Gorge Reservoir called Sheep Creek. And if you go there at just the right time of the year, you will be able to watch these kokanee salmon begin to return up the stream years later from, from which they began. They will, they will push their way up that stream in order to lay their eggs, and the cycle continues. And I'm telling you, it is an incredible sight to be able to watch these bright red bodies just pushing their way with everything they have to swim upstream to bring life. I recently had the chance to see it. And in the days that followed, what I couldn't get out of my mind was not only, wow, God, there's another beautiful thing that you just amaze us with, but for my heart, it was, you know what, that is what the church is supposed to look like. Swimming up stream. That's who we are called to be. The reason is because when together we begin to center our hearts on the heart of God, when we begin to center on his heart, then we begin to center on his values. And come on, you know this by now, God's values tend to be upstream in terms of where the values of the culture in which you live are moving. But what I want to talk to you about today is that right now, I'm not sure that's exactly what the church looks like together pushing upstream. There's a little bit in me that, that, that thinks from what I've seen and from what I've heard, it looks more like fish who are swimming maybe upstream but we got a, a line of fish on one side of the stream that are red. And we got a line of fish on the other side of the stream that are blue. And every once in a while, it appears that fish are jumping across the stream to attack each other. And I think in some instances right now, there is a tendency for the church to look like that. And here's what I want to declare. The king that we follow says we cannot do it that way. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. So I want to say welcome. Welcome to those of you who are at each of our campuses. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for taking the time to gather with us today. 
And I want to stop and just a quick appreciation to all of the MU fans who have so graciously reached out to me (laughs) and expressed your concern and care. Your compassion is unmatched. It truly is. It truly is. I'm all right. I actually was disappointed because I thought more of the band would have their MU colors on because a lot of them are MU people. I thought they would have more of it on today, but... I think they were being really, really nice. I don't know why, but they were. They, they were being really, really nice. I, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'll have my colors on again next week because I ain't that guy, right? You know by now I ain't the guy that only wears the colors when we win. I'll keep wearing them because I just love that part of sports, and there is this division that's fun. But nothing divides like politics. Nothing. And I think nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. And in too many cases, when we talk politics, fear seems to rise to the top because the conversation goes like this. Oh, if they win... This, this is what it's going to be like. If they win, this is what you're going to experience. If, if they win, th- this is going to be. It is this play on fear. And so my question is, well, what exactly do we fear? And I think the answer is clear. It's called loss. That's what we fear. We fear that we're either going to lose something that we got that we really don't want to lose or we're going to lose the opportunity to get something that we eventually want but we won't even have the chance to get it. And so depending on who wins, there, there is this fear factor of a loss of control or a loss of opportunity or a loss of our freedom or a loss of progress. The point is fear divides. And today I'm asking you to hear him. When the king that we follow says that shouldn't happen in the family of God. That should not happen where fear divides within the family of God. On the night before he would be betrayed... And then he would be beaten beyond recognition. And then he would be crucified. Jesus prays for his disciples. But when he prays for his disciples, he doesn't just pray for the 12. He makes a remarkable statement. We can read it in John chapter 17. I want you to hear it today. This is what he says. My prayer is not just for them alone, meaning the 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's me, and that's many of you. He's praying before his crucifixion for all of us who one day would hear the good news of who Jesus is, the one who died for our sin, rose from the dead. We, we, would, we would surrender our lives to him, say, Jesus, we trust you with our lives. That's us that he's praying for. What's he asking for? That all of us may be divided. 
No. One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. What difference does this make? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Interesting. Let's keep going. I have given them glory that you gave me, that that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. The world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. The price Jesus paid was a price for oneness, not division. And what difference does it make? He says the difference it makes is when they see you as one, they will know, I love them. When they see this oneness, they will know that God so loved the world. The consequences to this are huge. Now, here's what I want to make sure we understand. This does not mean that we agree on everything. But it does mean that we always love. It does not mean that we always agree on everything. But for the family of God, it means we always love. I want us to see the opportunity that we have right now in the culture in which we live. It is a unique opportunity that I think is sort of like the bright red salmon that is swimming upstream in this clear stream, man. You do this right and people will see it. It is the opportunity to disagree politically and love unconditionally. The opportunity to disagree politically and to love unconditionally. Is it difficult for you to see that if you choose to live that way, you look like a fish swimming upstream compared to the way the rest of the culture seems to be handling what's going on right now? But if you choose to do so, And you've got to answer what I think is a bigger question behind this whole political scenario. And the question is, which filter do you put out front? Which filter is in front of the other? Now, what I want us to see is that every one of us have a filter when it comes to politics. We do. We have a filter when it comes to politics. But the Bible tells us and Jesus tells us when we follow him, there is a greater filter in our life. And the filter that should come before every other filter that we ever consider is the filter of our faith in following Jesus. Now we say, okay, that, that, well, yeah, that's just obvious. Well, it may be obvious, but the question is, which filter do you actually have in front of the other? Is it your politics that tends to be the filter out front, or is it your faith 
that tends to be the filter out front. And the question I'm asking you today is, are you willing, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith instead of creating some version of your faith that supports your politics? And it's a tricky deal. It really is. It's, it's kind of tricky when it comes to this because if you have a tendency to put your politics before your faith, you, you likely do not see any conflict between your faith and your politics. <laughs> because if you let the politics be the filter that affects your faith, you can find enough verses to support really whatever political filter is out front. You, you, you really can. When, when, if you have the politics filter in front of the faith filter, you're going, man, it's about time you preached on this because there's some people that need to hear it. It's about time some people need to hear this, right? That's the reason I'm a, and then you would tell me which party you are. If, if you put the politics filter in front of the faith filter, we truly lose the opportunity to listen and learn and love like Jesus called us to. Even when it's somebody you're dealing with that you just go, how could you ever vote that way? How could you ever line up over there? Right, I'll go ahead and use the word, you think they're insane. You think they're insane. You're like, they've lost their mind. They have no wisdom. They have, they have no, there is just nothing that they are absolutely insane. I'm, I'm telling you, if you place the politics filter in front of the faith filter, you will disregard your opportunity that even though you don't agree, you will miss the opportunity to learn to listen and learn and love. Because for most all of us, where we stand is greatly affected by where we've been, what we've experienced, or what we've seen experienced by others, what we've been taught. A lot of where we stand tends to be affected by where we have stood before. To recognize that is to bring wisdom to this whole thing. I am not suggesting that you need to change what you're voting for. You hear me? I'm going to say it again. I am not suggesting that you need to change what you're voting for. I am suggesting that maybe we need to be willing, though, to see this a little bit differently than the way it's being broadcast to most of our culture, allowing you instead to open your eyes and open your hands and open your heart without changing your political viewpoint. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, and again, that's what I'm talking about today. You, you, you have no control over what happens on the outside when you feel like you're attacked for what you believe, all right? You have no control for what happens out there in, in the attacks that come your way. 
But when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ who might be the opposite political party, I know it's hard to believe. They're not all crazy. They're not all crazy. It might just be they sat in a different place than you have in life. And you might be surprised what would happen if you're willing to listen and learn and love. I'm not just talking about their stance. I'm talking about their why. Jesus is not threatened by them, and I'm encouraging you not to be. He is not a pawn in somebody's political platform. One of my favorite lines ever is Dr. Tony Evans who said, Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And that's what I'm trying to remind you of today. That's what I'm trying, hoping that we can, we can make sure we've got a bigger perspective today. I want to encourage you, don't burn relationship bridges over political views. Now, I'm also saying, in many cases, don't change your political view. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you just need to lay it all down. That's, that's not, we'll, we'll see that here in a minute. No, I'm not saying change your view. I'm saying don't burn relationship bridges over political views that you and I both know you've got some political views that have changed over the years. They come and they go. And the truth is, in that whole perspective, Jesus died for both of you while you were both sinners. If you put the politics filter before the faith filter, you will struggle to love that way. Again, I'm not asking you to lay down those values that biblically may be very solid. Don't don't lay those down. But if you put the politics before the faith, you will miss most often the opportunity to love. But if you put the faith filter before the politics filter, as well as everything else in your life. Now, now you are starting to arm yourself with the right stuff. It's the stuff that you really intend. This is, it's why you got the politics out front. It's because these are the things, you know it matters. But when you start to put the faith filter first, you are starting to arm yourself with the stuff that actually changes the world. We know it from history. At one time in the world, it was just self-evident across the globe that some people should be owned by other people. Everybody just accepted that's what it was. A lot of people don't realize, even in the 4th century B.C., Aristotle, you know his name, the Greek philosopher, right? Famous Greek philosopher, he, he, he's one of the guys who's supposed to give meaning and help people understand why things are the, the way they are. In the 4th century B.C., Aristotle said, not only is slavery necessary, it's expedient. He said, people are just born, some to be slaves and some to be rulers. It's just the way it is. But in the 4th century A.D., 
After Jesus dies, rises from the dead, those who followed him began to pour out their lives, swimming upstream, sending this message of good news and and a God who loves. We read the story of how as Christianity begins to take hold of the Roman Empire, the, the Bishop Augustine declares in the fourth century, slavery is a result of sin. Hmm. It's what happens when you start to put the faith filter in front of any other filter and how God sees and loves people. Did you know that at one time it was self-evident across much of the known world that what was called child exposure, infanticide, it's kind of a weird word, Okay, you got the word infant in there. So the, the picture is there were even certain parts of the Roman Empire where you were required to let your baby die. And, and I don't know how to convince you of this than to tell you, you can read the history. It was just the way it was. And everybody accepted it. It was just the way it was. It, it might be because you had a girl might be because you had another girl and haven't had a boy yet. Might be because there's a, a birth defect. It, it might be because you thought it was another man's child. For whatever the reason, they literally had laws that said, you, you can place the baby outside the walls of the city. You can place the baby at the edge of the forest. You can place the baby at the edge of the river. And legally, you are not held responsible for the death of that child. It is fate that determines their fate. But you know what happened? Jesus dies and rises from the dead. And he speaks a message of love into the hearts of those who follow him. And those early Christians in those early centuries began to take a stand against infanticide and against child exposure. They, they actually would begin to patrol the rivers. And they would walk the rivers every day because they knew that's where the people would sometimes leave their babies. They started to walk just inside the edges of the forest because they knew that's where people would sometimes take those children and leave them. And even though their homes were typically small because they were often being persecuted during that time frame, even though they hardly had enough food for their own families, they would every day walk the rivers and they would walk the forest and they would gather up those children and they would bring them into their own homes. Why? Because that's what love requires. And as they began to settle on what the image of God, being made in the image of God, the value of every human being to to love as Jesus loved, and then they realized this is our story of how we got to be in the family of God. In the year 318 A.D., the emperor Constantine declared infanticide a crime. And in the year 374 AD, the Emperor Valentinian made exposure a capital offense. And I'm saying all of a sudden the Roman Empire itself was flipped on its end. How did it happen? 
it was when the people of God together began to swim upstream. They began to put a faith filter in front of every other filter, and they suddenly became armed with something so magnificent that it literally would turn the conscience of a nation, an empire, the world. Can I tell you, God still does it that way? He still does it that way. This is why the church is so important, and this is why we cannot be divided. We can have differences. We can disagree. We can have conversations and great conversations, and we can talk to each other, and, 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 and we, can, we can be, it's okay to be adamant, but it's not okay not to love. He calls us to love. There is a New Testament scholar and historian of early Christianity. His name is Larry Hurtado. Um, kind of an interesting fact, uh, he died last year, but the interesting fact is he was actually born in Kansas City, um, just kind of a guy from here. And he has written numerous, numerous books, um, being an expert on early Christianity history, right, the early church history. He, he talks a lot about this counterculture. That's what I'm calling swimming upstream. He calls it a countercultural social project. And I want to show you, he, he said that when they examine the early church history, there are really five incredible principles, standards that we see the early church just be immovable on. And, and this, is, this is what they are. The first is the sanctity of life. They strongly and practically are against abortion and, and, and infanticide. He said that the church took their stand when the whole world said it was okay. The church began to move differently, and it changed the conscience of an empire at one point. It, it, it was also about the sanctity of marriage. It was revolutionary regarding the ethics of sex. The early church changed that mindset. In, in, in Roman thought, women were expected to be faithful to marriage. Men were expected not to. Does that shock you? And it was just sort of a, that's the way it is. It's just too, too strong of a battle to win. It's just a part of life itself. It's just, but those, those early men who put their faith in Jesus began to look at what Jesus is saying, and they're going, that's not love. To, to cross these lines, that, that's not love. That's not to love our wife. That's not to, to love any other person. And, and they began to walk that out in such a way that it, it literally began to change an empire. Third was a concern and care for the poor and the marginalized. The difference here is they didn't just do it for their families. Most everybody did it for their families, but they began to do it for people that just weren't even a part of their families. We have stories of the early church where when the plagues came, when the diseases came, the early church was not the people who escaped from the cities. They actually stayed in the cities and cared for the people who were dying when the viruses were taking their toll. And in many cases, they died because they stayed to care for the dying. Fourth, there was equality. 
multiracial, multi-ethnic. You see it in the early church. All you, got, you don't get very far in Acts. Look at the church in Antioch, the makeup of the leaders, the makeup of the people. It was, it was so many. Uh, we, we read not too long ago, I shared a message with you from Ephesians chapter 2, that the cross, the cross already purchased racial reconciliation. He did it. He did it. We're, we're continuing to fight a fight that he he purchased already. They lived that. And then number five was a radical grace and forgiveness. Now the point is, what, what he says is when you study the early church, what you see, these five were present with them because they chose to put the biblical authority filter in front of everything else that they did. And when they heard what God said was valuable, this is where they stood. It was both attractive and offensive. Guess what? Still is. Still is. Now, here's what I find interesting. I'm just playing here. These two, we would tend to most associate with one political party. Who are swimming on one side of the stream. These two, most people would tend to categorize with another political party, at least as far as what the banner of the party, right, declares. Number five, I'm still looking for that political party. It feels like in our particular scenario, you may feel like you are being forced to pick two or pick two. And I'm reminding you today, it's not about picking two. It will always be for us, the family of God, all five. All five, regardless of which political party wins, it it is always all five for us. The church is called, no political party captures all the causes of Christ. It's because that's not their mission. That's our mission. The, The church, the church captures all the causes of Christ. And so for now, if you feel like, I feel like I'm having to choose these two, but, but no, I'm saying when forced to choose the lesser of two evils, you still have to call out the evil. You do. For the sake of the world. Because Jesus says, when you, the church, love one another this way, and when you move upstream together this way, you are declaring God loves this world. It is supernatural. The early church would not be loyal to any of the emperors, even the good ones. None of them. None of them. So I just want to leave you with a little text um, before sending you out of here. It is a text that came up in our reading this week. We've been reading through the Bible all year long. We're making our journey. And one of the texts that we happen to get this week, I thought this was interesting, is Psalm 120. Psalm 120 is 
um, what's called one of the Psalms of Ascent. So think descend or ascend. These are songs of ascent. And, and the word refers to a climb. And, and it's a song that the people would sing when they were, when they were climbing a, a slope or a mountain. Um, and in this particular case, those slopes and mountains led to Jerusalem. They are on their way to Jerusalem for a festival. They would sing these songs along the way. For us, when I, when I read the Psalms of Ascent, it, for me, this is about our climb to a heavenly Jerusalem, right? Now that Jesus has come and we know him and we know where we're headed, this is about how we make this journey. I want you to listen to these words. Psalm 120, verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Can I invite you to take him up on such an offer? When you feel the overwhelming pressure, when you feel the fear sometimes that comes, he says, call on me, he answers. And this whole psalm is about this turn from our fear, from all that stuff, a turn to Jesus. That's, who, that's what this is. Those pilgrims in that day would make their journey, let's say from Galilee. They would start from Galilee and they would head south. They would follow most of the time the Jordan River. That was an easier route than than some of the other territory. And so they leave Galilee, they're headed south following the Jordan River. But at some point along that journey, they had to make a turn to the west toward Jerusalem. And when they made that turn to the west, literally they began to climb. They began to ascend those slopes and those mountains. If they did not turn, they eventually, following that Jordan River, would end up in the Dead Sea. Which I don't know if you know this or not, it is the lowest place on the planet. The Dead Sea is the lowest, in terms of, 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 of altitude, is the lowest open air place on the planet. Isn't that significant that God would put it like right there? He puts the lowest place on the planet right there, literally miles away from Jerusalem and what it represents. That's our story. On this journey... We come to a place where it is the end of ourselves. And when we, from heart, make that turn toward Jesus, and we begin to climb out, that's the picture here. That's the picture. Watch what it says. Verse 2. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. From political debates. Did I read that right? I thought so. Let me read it again. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Man, lying has always been associated with politics as long as, right, I can be old enough to remember that. We always joke about politicians will just say what they want to say in order to get a vote. But come on, you, the weight that you feel now is because it feels like that has just been ratcheted up to a degree that it just feels like there is no limit, right? And, and you, you feel trapped in this culture of lies, 
What the psalmist, though, is also admitting, he's going, but I also have lied. Oh, yeah, there's that part. It's really fun to throw rocks at all the politicians that lies, right? That lie, then we like, what? so do I. And that's a part of what he's confessing here. Verse three, what will he do to you? And what more besides you, you deceitful tongue? What he's saying is, what, what, what good are the lies going to benefit me, right? What good is this going to do me in, in this world if all I'm doing is relying on my lies rather than the truth and the power of God? Verse 4, he will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of a broom bush. All that means is when there is lies, when there's a culture of lies, it wounds right? It's sharp. It cuts. It hurts. The, the, the reference to these burning coals, it was a very interesting tree that when you burnt the tree, these coals would last long, long, long time. So long that sometimes you would think there's no way they can still be active coals. And then you would touch those coals and it would burn you. And he goes, that's what lions like. That's what, that's what a culture of, of that is, is like. Verse five, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech and that I live among the tents of Kedar. He's just saying, look, I've lived in this world. You can look up, there's a background to this and those names are each attached to people. But what he's really saying is, I have lived in the middle of the values of this world and it brings me grief. And so in order to experience life, I've got to shift. I've got to turn my heart toward Jesus. Verse 6, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Too long I've lived among selfishness. And this actually literally reads, I now I am at peace. That's literally how that reads. Now I am at peace. Because why? I have turned to God. That's what he's saying. I I got a perspective that's bigger than just what's going on in front of me. All these lies, all this craziness, all this game plan. If that's all I see, then I will be overwhelmed. I will be fearful. I I will experience the anxiety. But now that I have a bigger perspective and I realize I'm following the king who is the king of all kings, then you know what he says? I'm going to keep speaking peace. But you know what I expect? They are going to keep causing war. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep speaking peace. And they are going to keep causing war. And it's this picture of of him declaring, look, I'm just going to keep swimming upstream. I'm going to keep swimming upstream. I, I want you to take one more look at that fish. It is the coolest looking fish. It's amazing how bright red they can become. But one of the things that I actually saw and I learned is what happens right down here on the tail of this fish. Eventually, it will just go white. I mean white. And, and when you first see it, you're like, well, that's cool. They kind of got the green head. It gets greener and greener. And the body gets redder and redder. And, and this gets whiter and whiter. But you know what the whiter and whiter is? decay because the fish is dying 
And as these fish are spawning, literally part of their body is starting to decay. They are dying. And when I, I'm like, oh my goodness, is that not the picture? Who we are called to be as followers of Jesus in this world, we are swimming upstream and you know what we're called to? We, we die to self. That God, I don't want this to be about me. God, I don't want this to be a selfishness issue. I don't want to be clamoring for, for what is best for me. God, I want this to be a living for you. God, I want this to be loving my neighbor. God, I want to lay down my life. And literally, I'm watching these fish, man. They are pouring out everything they've got to swim over the rocks and, and, and through that stream in order to bring life. And they're done. But you're not, you're not. And as hard as this fight is right now, and as crazy as this feels right now, I'm just reminding you that you are swimming for something much bigger and the, and the long-term effect is so much more than even this life. We are dying to self, which is really what makes us most alive in this mission to which he has called us. Oh, man, I'm saying, why divide over political parties when one day those parties will be no more, but Jesus will still be king? He'll still be king. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to declare this to you. God's got this. When I say God's got this, don't you hear me say that you're supposed to lay down and not fight. When I say he's got this, a part of that means he uses you to swim upstream. My point is, as we are swimming upstream, do not, do not buy into the temptation to attack each other. Don't do it. Don't do it. There is a call to love. There is a call to selflessness. There is a call to faith that says, heaven has not panicked. Heaven is not worried. Heaven is not afraid. Because heaven still knows that Jesus is Lord. And a few weeks from now, whatever the result will be on a Tuesday, on Wednesday, Jesus will still be king. I'm not telling you it might not be harder depending on what takes place. But I'm telling you that our mission doesn't change. And after all, it's not the political party who will change the conscience of a nation. It is God who will do so 
through his church. Thank you guys for being kind today. I thank you for listening. I'm praying for you like crazy that you know how to navigate all this. I'm going to pray for you now. We're going to sing a song kind of as we wrap this up that reminds us of the hope that's still alive. I'll be over here. If you need prayer today, for those of you at campuses, there are folks who are available there to pray with you. We'd be glad to help in any way that we can. Let's pray. God, today we are reminded of your call for us to stand in love. And God, there's, there's a whole nother talk, really, that could happen about how we do this um, when it comes to engaging this world and just, God, some of the onslaught of, of uh, reaction that comes when we stand where we stand and even when we try to love um, But God, I'm thanking you that your grace is sufficient for that just as it is for us within our family here. God, that that today you would remind us grace and forgiveness. God, the law of your love, it is the filter that's supposed to be in front. God, I pray for our nation. And I pray for people to lead it. God, I pray even maybe for some who are in this body, God, there may be children, there may be, God, younger generations in this body that you would call to lead in a different way. God, we ask for that. We pray for that. And God, asking that that you'll give us wisdom to know how to to lead our kids to, to hear your voice and to not be afraid if you call them to such a mission for a nation. But God, I'm also asking you to help us to remember, God, just like the early church, God, regardless of what takes place, our mission is clear and your power and your grace is sufficient. God, today, may our fear be driven out by your perfect love. God, today, may any of our selfishness be driven out by your selfless love. God, today, will you remind us how to do this right and in the weeks, a month or so that follows here, God, may we be your church that as we swim together upstream, the way we do it, that you would cause the world to know you love them. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen.